Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, Julie. It is May the 19th. We're picking up where we left off yesterday, the day before, and the day before. Indeed, this is part four. Of the housing, is the housing crash coming soon? And what we're doing today, and what we've done the previous shows with the same title, if you want to go back and listen to them, is we are creating our, our um, evidence, or um, I would not necessarily say evidence, let's just say our preponderance of proof. Yes, How about that? our findings. Yes, that there is no housing crash looming. Um, and there's no housing crash looming as in this year, next year, maybe the year after that, or, and this is hard to believe, but maybe ever. And what we're experiencing now in pricing with regards to homes is possibly just the uh, a new hard reset and everything's going to start from here. In other words, there's not going to be a precipitous drop in price. There's just going to be a building on the prices for the, you know, at least the next three to five years. And we are, um, we were not originally of that opinion two years ago, maybe even three years ago, we saw reasons to believe that there was going to be a potential slowdown that wasn't going to be, um, that was going to cause some markets to take a step back. But because of a whole bunch of things that have happened since then, and some of them were certainly, uh, you know, fueled by COVID. And what we're going to talk with you today is something that certainly I think was fueled by, uh, largely by COVID. Um, you're not going to see a slowdown housing prices. And now why are we telling you all this? And by the way, we are not necessarily housing cheerleaders. Like some of you, I'm sure are going to want to label us. We are agent cheerleaders. We're in the business of helping real estate professionals. That is our primary focus. And guess what? You can make money helping people in real estate, no matter what direction the market is going, whether it's going up, you know, in favor of sellers, down in favor of buyers, it doesn't matter. So please don't think that you can only be successful when the market is going one direction. So what we're going to be talking to you about today is probably, in my opinion, following, I'd say demographics is number one reason that there's not going to be a housing crash. We talked about that yesterday. But this next bit that Julie prepared for us today is perhaps even more significant or equally as significant as um, the actual uh, demographic shifts that are going on. And by the way, have you noticed that Julie and I did not say that the housing market right now is predicated and the continuation of the seller's market is predicated on low interest rates because it's not. And that's the thing a lot of people are confused about. They're thinking that as soon as interest rates go up, the market's going to slow down. This is not going to happen because of what we're going to share with you today and what we've shared with you the previous uh, three shows. Yeah. And Tim, the amazing thing is that there's not just one reason why the housing market is not going to crash anytime soon. Exactly. You know, I got several questions in our Facebook live session yesterday for our premier coaching members. And it went something like this. I can't believe what I'm having to do on my buyer contracts. How long am I going to have to deal with this? <laughs> and so, you know, you can appreciate them asking because it's frustrating to be on the buyer side and the buyer side commissions are eroding and all the rest of the things we've talked about on previous podcasts. But, you know, for the foreseeable future, get used to it. And I think part of uh, the reason that we believe that is because it's not just one reason. If you could say, well, this is just because of that. And when that goes away, then we'll be fine. But it's not. This, I mean, this is a four-part podcast series about it. Julie just said something. I hope you guys are paying attention to it. And we always have to remember that our audience, because it's so large, is diverse. Some of you have been in the business forever. Others of you 
are not even yet licensed. And But here's the thing. Generally speaking, it's easy to attribute the reason that something's in appreciating. Let's just say housing is appreciating. You'll have, like when Julie and I sold real estate, there we never sold real estate in a really hot seller's market. But there were seller's markets inside the market in which we sold on a you know grander scale in Columbus, Ohio. There were certain markets that were doing incredibly well. But when you were to sort of, well, I wonder why that market's doing real, uh, fairly well, it's easier to figure it out. Well, it was an area that was being populated now by a bunch of uh, folks that were moving here because they were working at a new headquarters that had just opened up in this mm -hmm. part of town, that kind of thing, right? So it was easy to sort of point one thing points to the other. It wasn't real convoluted. It wasn't because there were all these dynamic forces from demographics and interest rates and all the rest of it. It's because people needed a place to live. Up, right so it's easy to kind of predict what direction markets are going to go based on whether or not there's people that are moving there to work nearby and all the rest of it this what we're experiencing now is so much more dynamic and has so many more moving parts that I think uh, well when you read what people are predicting and what they're basing their predictions on they're basing their predictions on what happened leading up to the housing crash they're not taking the consideration and I was reading a bunch of articles on Inman about this and the people that were pontificating about why there's gonna be a housing crash they completely and totally were missing the boat about 90% of the reason why there won't be they're only focusing on like a few 10% you know, of why there might pricing be pricing trends and things like well that. exactly yeah well there's more to the picture so for example our topic today is all about uh, working virtually and migration. It really, it's it's the state-to-state -state migration is, I, let, is one just, of the factors. It's macro housing trends and macro also, I would say, lifestyle trends. Indeed. So point number one, the virtual workplace, the new normal. The pandemic strapped rocket boosters to a trend that was already happening, which is called work from home. What used to be a rather unusual request for most became required in 2020 on into 2021. This means that freedom meant opportunity to live where you wish and that working from home or remotely has become normal. Choice of urban, suburban, or rural is now a reality, whereas before it seemed a necessity to, for many to be in a city environment. So from Riz Media, uh, quote, according to a December 2020 Pew Research Center survey, 20% of respondents reported they worked from home prior to the pandemic, but this jumped to 71% uh, as of December, with 54% saying that they would prefer to continue work from home after the coronavirus outbreak ends. Let's hover there. That's different than before. So the trend was already headed in that direction slowly, yes. right? So maybe it would have taken another 10 or 20 years to make it to the point where people were and, and employers were willing to accept that working from home was as effective as working from, a, you know, everyone being in one location. But the coronavirus completely completely changed all of that. And now that the genie's out of the bottle, and now that people know that they can be and oftentimes more effective working remotely, and, and all this technology, I mean, Zoom and Verbella and all these other amazing companies, um, which were there, but they were, you know, they were maturing slowly. All of a sudden, they had all this massive growth inside 24 months. That momentum is not going to slow down. And all of a sudden, people, there are so many more, there's so many more attributes and benefits to working remotely from a personal perspective. And so uh, we're looking for staff. We're looking, we're looking to hire people and we're and we're virtual our coaching company is virtual we have we have employees literally all over the world our staff i should say because they're all contractors but the reality of it is is that trend is not going to reverse it's not all it's not like all of a sudden people have been working from home being efficient for the last two years are all of a sudden going to say well okay i guess it's time to go back to work yeah. and employers here's really the the finer point are now advertising um saying that you're going to, I would say 80% or 90% of the uh, people that are running ads looking for employees that are, say, white-collar type jobs are leading the, the description of the job with work virtually. Yes, that's right. And it's giving people a lot more opportunity. I think of just like something simple like um, 
you know, Zoe's part-time nanny. She also is a remote paralegal for a company and does a bunch of other things. Why? Because she has the freedom to do that. She gets her work done remotely and isn't subject to the nine to five thing. So point number two, change of priorities. And I'm going to do a whole podcast on this because there's, there's new language that's coming out. Yeah. Search terms have changed to things like one acre or more, near parks, best connectivity, swimming pool, walking paths, large backyard. Uh, one of our clients in Paducah, Kentucky reports on this, that her most popular searches that she sees on her, on her tracking are uh, two to five acres and things like that that are kind of out in the country, but not too far out in the country. Right. Still has connectivity. You're not really taking care of a farm, but you're having your privacy. Well, speaking of connectivity, that's the other thing that's right now in the process of changing. Even where we live, where the connectivity is kind of terrible. <laughs> Generally, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> terrible where we live here in Puerto Rico. But uh, Elon Musk to the rescue and Scar uh, Starlink. He's, you know, we talked about this on our podcast before, uh, but just Google Starlink. Long story short, high speed upload and download internet is going to be available to basically everyone on planet Earth, assuming that um, this uh, master plan of uh, Elon's to have the mm -hmm. world covered with these micro satellites. And that's going to be something that's going to provide a sea change to not just where people live, but what they, how we communicate, the rate in which we are going to expect to respond to people, the rate in which we're going to, uh, companies are going to, uh, be expected to, you know, essentially provide customer services, answers to questions and all the rest of it. So you could be living in your RV in the middle of, you know, wherever, and you can actually have a high speed Starlink satellite, a little satellite. They're like eight inches, a little dish that's going to sit on top of your RV or whatever. And you can work remotely and you can do your zooms and you can do whatever the heck else you're expected to do. And while you're fishing, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're kind of going with the regards to... Well, Freedom means freedom. opportunity. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. And and again, it's you can have that level of freedom and not take a pay cut. That's the thing that people are you know wrapping their minds around. And employers are not being able to like pay less just because someone wants to be remote. That's right. So the next thing is the types of homes that people are searching for. Many people are now looking for two offices, a dedicated homeschool space, an in-law suite, etc. A lot of the searches I hear from our coaching clients are a lot big enough to put a second home on or right. a, like a home office pod or a homeschool pod type of structure. And there's a lot of companies that are coming out with that type of office space too. I think actually, yeah. I didn't tell you this, but eXp Realty. By the way, if you guys want to talk to us about eXp Realty, yes, of course, we'd love to sponsor you at eXp Realty. Yes, of course, uh, Julie and I would uh, be honored if you were to give us the opportunity to sponsor you at eXp Realty. Just text me direct, uh, directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Just text me. Well, eXp has got, I believe it was on their store, a company that makes small, um, you know, it looks like a small, uh, or not a micro home type deal, uh -huh. but what it really is, it's, just, it's it, it basically, it's a fancy shed, if I want to call it but what it is. But it's like a mini office. It's or... a mini office with air conditioning, with That's heat, cool. with built-in desks, with, uh, you know, and the walls are sound insulated, so you could be working in there. And they've really got cool. windows on two sides and mm -hmm. you have window coverings. And the whole thing is really kind of yeah. very cool. Well, I mean, Zoe tells me one of her friends has one of those in their backyard that oh, yeah? their parents built for homeschool purposes. So there's lots of, you know, different trends and opportunities. I think that's really cool. I've got to look that up on EXP's site. Yep. Uh, let's see. So types of homes. Again, people are looking for places to do what we just talked about. New terms have been invented, like the clawfist. That's an office made out of a <laughs> sure. closet. Okay. Multi-generational homes have become hot. Seven-bedroom houses, flexible floor plans, room for an additional home on the same lot. People are relocating to be closer to elderly relatives and grandkids. Family came into focus in the pandemic, and that has largely changed people's uh, trends and fueled more buyers in the market. 
People underestimate how much uh, people's psychology around what you just read yeah. has changed. And I, and I always, I go back to your grandma, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And I, grow, I go back to when you and I, you know, her name was Minnie, Minnie Fultz, and her husband's name was Alan Fultz. And I remember when Julie and I went over to their house when we were, what, we were married, so we were out of college, right? We were probably 20-something. Some, yeah, so I remember going over to her house when they were trying to basically get the house uh, cleaned up so that they could, you know, move on to a smaller house and the whole thing. And I'll never forget all the neatly organized piles <laughs> of everything. Not just the, it, she was, I mean, to call her a hoarder would not be appropriate, um, but because everything was organized, but she had like rubber band balls that were bigger than basketballs. I mean, she had saved everything. And now you ask yourself, well, why? And we'd been in, when Julie and I sold real estate, we'd seen other people that were saving the same thing. It's because after the Great Depression, when there was a massive scarcity of everything, people in that generation essentially had their brains rewired and their brains were rewired to mm-hmm. save, never to basically waste, to save everything because rubber bands and maybe, you know, newspapers and she saved mason jars and all kinds of things. All those things had value because there was scarcity. If you went to the grocery store and you wanted to buy a mason jar, let alone a rubber band, back in the Great Depression, good luck. A, there was no store and B, if it was open, they probably had one can of tuna. You guys get the point? So the moral of the story is that behavior or that experience changed her, but then it got passed to Julie's mom, Janet. And guess who else? Julie. Mm. Julie definitely collects stuff too. And where'd she learn it? She learned it from her mom. When her mom learned it, she learned it from Minnie. You guys get the point? All of this is generational. And so what we've experienced now is not just going to go away because we don't have to wear masks anymore. This is going to be passed from generation to generation to generation and all kinds of good and bad things. But the obvious good thing is, is people are going to, well, A, they're going to show themselves to be more resilient than they thought, but B, it also is going to be the expectation of how they're going to live their lives, the expectation of where they're going to live their lives. That's going to live on for sure. That's going to live on for sure. And that is not going to change. That is a long time um, socioeconomic demographic. I don't know of all the graphic terms other than that, but that's going to forever change uh, essentially people, how they live their lifestyle. Well, here's some facts for you. Point number four, here are the stats. According to move.org, 33% of people who moved in 2020 stated that they had not been planning to move. Mm-hmm. 45% report their decision was definitely COVID-19 related, and 38% stayed within the same state or region but still moved. So there, there's a lot of people studying the, this migration trend, and um, 38% stayed like, you know, you might have lived in Columbus, but now you've moved out to, you know, remote Delaware County. So you're right. in your region, but you still had the same reasons. And the rest of the percent moved out of state. And we'll talk about that in a second. So point number five, some of the biggest changes, this is from Bloomberg, the regions around San Francisco and San Jose, two of the country's most expensive housing markets, saw the rates of permanent moves increase the most by more than 23% and 17% respectively, compared to 3% nationally. As in moving out. Moving out permanently. Yep. Some of these uh, economists are tracking temporary moves, and they do that based on uh, people's mail forwarding and you know, stuff like right. that. Right. It was pretty yeah. funny, Julie, that when this was actually starting, it, this has been happening for a long time, especially you didn't mention New York. Yeah. But this has been happening for a long time in New York. And during the pandemic, when, oh, you're about to get to it, but when this <laughs> was okay. starting to happen, all the uh, politicians there were saying, oh, no, they're just going up to their summer homes. I know. It's just temporary. Well, there was some of that, but. They were just trying to gloss yeah. over maybe their sort of yeah. bad decision making and the effect it was having on people's yeah. confidence and their ability. To well, live there. Ask people in Austin what they think about that. Well, getting, yeah, and, they all moved all the to Austin. Exactly. They moved to Austin yeah. and Florida. Well, so in New York, the popular pre pandemic journey from Manhattan to Brooklyn, for example, remained high on the list. But urban dwellers also moved outward, with the close in suburbs of Westchester County and Suffolk County in Long Island being some of the most popular destinations for Manhattanites. 
For people who left the central New York metro area entirely, Miami was indeed a popular destination. But interestingly enough, because we have a ton of EXP, um, uh, you know, uh, people in our revenue share group at EXP and coaching clients die in Miami, the condos in Miami mm -hmm. um, are definitely a buyer's market. So if you want to buy in Miami and you're wanting to live in a tall building and that maybe has sort of a remote glimpse of the ocean, <laughs> guess what? You want to, that's Miami's your place. But guess what you can't get or hard to get? Single family homes. And it was shocking because, you know, Miami's market was all about this big fancy, these big fancy towers. And those towers in Miami are extraordinary. And, uh, you know, you had some of the biggest designers in the world and the biggest They're brands cool. in the world. They're amazing. Um, you know, there was a Porsche building where you could mm -hmm. literally, t you pulled in this huge building, you pull your car up to the, this little, you know, garage portal thing. And then it, it takes you and your car on this remote, you know, this ride up this massive building in this glass elevator, elevator. and your, your car is parked. I mean. It sounds cool. I know. Are you not allowed to ride it if you don't have a Porsche, though? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm thinking when you're up there, know. how do you know? What happens if you don't leave it in park? I mean, I don't know. The, the, ramifica <laughs> the ramifications are bad. Exactly. But but anyway, the moral of the story is, is those buildings now are a buyer's market. And I'm not saying they're anything bad, just saying that people are not preferring to buy them over single family homes. Well, and that's an example of a place that's not as hot as the rest of the country in yeah. terms of, you know, appreciation and all that. So, okay, migration to lower tax states. That's point number six. For states with the lowest taxes, an average of four people moved in from other parts of the country for every one person who left over the last eight years. According to a new report from Redfin, the okay, so the the trend has reversed in high tax states, where an average of two and a half people left for every one person who moved in. For example, Nevada, Florida, South Carolina, and Texas are prime examples of low tax states that are attracting new residents. Nevada gained more residents than any other state over the last eight years. For every nine people who moved to Nevada from 2013 to 2020, just one person left, and it's been, and it's the sixth lowest tax rate in the country. One in five home buyers now cite lower state taxes as their motivation to move. Texas in in Texas, uh, Apple and Google. That should have said Tesla. Sorry, that was a typo from autocorrect. Tesla, Apple, and Google have all moved from California to Texas. Austin is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. People talk about those big companies or the big sort of like flash companies that everyone knows about, but Oracle moved. And there's a billion other companies that basically mm -hmm. have moved or are moving to Texas in particular. Yep. But again, we were Austonians for a while. Basically, yep. we lived in Georgetown and the trend towards uh, California, you know, people migrating to Texas was already going on. It's it been was going definitely. on for a long time. But yeah. this basically sped things up. And then obviously yeah. you had the California taxes that went up and the taxes are going to continue to go up so they open your eyes here folks all we're trying to tell you is the long-term trends are your friend as long as you're not thinking it's going to be some sort of short-term aberration this is a long-term trend you're going to see more migration once people move and their friends move and their kids move and their kids are settled back in schools then they have new doctors and vets and all the rest of it they tend to not move they tend to stay put and you're going to see these trends continue if not if nothing else they're going to pick up uh, momentum over the next probably three to five years. So if you're in one of the markets that's gaining um, residents, well, then you're going to be on the right side of appreciation or inflation. If you're one of those on the wrong side, you better be minding the store and looking to see where the actual macro trends and micro trends are in your individual market. Or you could very well be caught living in an area where it's going to be super hard to sell a house. Now, not saying you won't be able to help people make money, just pointing out the simple fact. You got to decide what you want your business to be like. And Julie and I, when we sold real estate, we experienced that too. We had, you know, we were selling in, you know, basically six different areas and we were in 
New Albany was a great example. When we moved to New Albany uh, Country Club area, it was really hot. It was real things were selling like hotcakes. But we moved there about the same time that the market started to reverse. <laughs> and then you started seeing more expireds. And then you started seeing essentially all the ramifications of an overbuilt, overpriced market. And we did great. I mean, we did fantastic because we were, we were very efficient at uh, price reductions and working with expireds and dealing with, you know, doctor filling, cranky sellers, the whole thing. That's where we, you know, essentially sharpened our axe and when we were working our way up into the upper markets. We had worked in normal price markets. And you guys can survive and thrive as well. So please don't convince yourself that you can only survive or thrive in one type of market. You can do well in any kind of market. And I'll say the, uh, the hardest time but also the best time to be in real estate is during a transitional market. So if you're in a market, uh, in a little micro market that's transitioning from a seller's market down to a buyer's market, don't just wimp out. In some cases, that's where you can make the most amount of money helping the most people. That's right. You just have to change your skills and your scripts and your expectations. You know, when, when our market changed in New Albany, it, it went from things being pretty fast and furious. I remember waiting lists to build and stuff like yep. that. They were doing lotteries for lotteries. lots. Sure. And then it, it became, yeah, you know, if it doesn't sell after, back then it was maybe 30 days or so, we would look at a price adjustment. And there was no expectation of multiple offers. Nope. You know, so things change. You change with the times. Okay. So again, I will uh, conclude with there's just not just one reason that the housing market isn't about to crash. There are many. This has been part four of our series. So if you missed the previous three, get caught up to speed. We started the series last Friday. So that's basically my summary. Yeah. So bottom line, guys, is that we are in a long-term uh, generational shift. And the, you know, really this will rattle a lot of your cages, but, and did mine when I had this little thought, what if what we're experiencing now in, in, the, in the country and a lot of places in the world as well, what if this is the new normal as far as where pricing is going to be? What if there is going to be no slide back in values? What if this is what houses are going to cost and only going up from here forever? That is what I would expect, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. You know, you have to revamp your mindset if you're thinking otherwise. And be careful what you're sharing with your clients and prospects. Because remember, that Google search was up 2,700% of is there going to be a housing crash. So it is on people's minds. And our whole impetus for doing this podcast series was to give you the actual facts so you can have intelligent discussions about why it is still a good time to be in the market. So tomorrow we're going to be talking about the effects of inflation on housing. So mm -hmm. make sure you tune in then because that's going to be perhaps one of the most interesting um, and no longer controversial topics that Julie and I have been talking about for years uh, with regards to uh, in, in the, in the coming waves of inflation. But now we're seeing evidence from across the board in all meaningful ways that the inflation that's going to be felt by everyone in the United States, especially when it comes to housing prices, is going to really shock a lot of people because things are going to get almost feelingly, over, seemingly overnight, things are going to uh, get substantially more expensive. And it's not just housing, it's going to be everything. So we're going to share with you what's going to happen next, the effects of inflation specifically on housing, and what you can be doing to prepare not just yourself, but your client. So in the meantime, guys, if you want to talk with Julie and I or have any suggestions for podcasts, or if you want to talk with Julie and I about joining our EXP group, please feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, 
Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.